What makes for a great vacation? Depends on who you ask. Are you looking to get away or bring everyone together? Do you want to get outside and play or see a play at the plate? Fortunately, however you operate, I'm the destination you've been looking for. The name's Missouri, but you can call me Mo. And I have just one question. What's your M.O.? To find your M.O., tap now. Or for information on safe travel, come see me at visitmo.com. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, coming to you from the Vivid Seat studio with me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him. You love him as the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, I would use an expletive to de- describe this Broncos performance, a you-know-what show, but unfortunately for fans hoping to see a, a, even a hint of a leap forward from the Denver Broncos, not yet, not yet. No, it's going to take a little longer than uh, m- most fans thought. Most people, Vic Fangio supporters, thought that he was going to come right. And we talked about it on our on our halftime stream chat that this Broncos team, there's so many new moving parts, so many different things, different schemes, players, different ingredients in the pot. And it still needs a little longer to cook and come together and, and to have the, the edible recipe. This was not the end-all, be-all measuring stick for Denver for their season, but it was not a great start to the Vic Fangio era either. There were a lot of eerie shades to me of 2018 that have to end ASAP. There's no question about it. Let me drop some knowledge on you. Derek Carr, in his last three matchups against the Denver Broncos, that includes the one in Denver early last season, the Week 16 matchup, and then this season opener. Derek Carr is 70 of 85 passing Mm. he's only had 15 incompletions in the last three games against the denver broncos that's approaching 84 percent completion and we expected and hoped that that was going to change with vic fangio's ability to you know throw a, a quarterback off with zone coverages make him think a little dude Derek carr was unloading the ball as soon as he hit that back foot very few exceptions. The Broncos, not only did they not get a sack against the Raiders tonight, they didn't even notch a single quarterback pressure, excuse me, hit 
Derek Carr was completely unscathed, Zach. And that's just excellent, great preparedness and coaching on John Gruden's part to scheme around uh, the Raiders' weakness, which is their offensive line, their pass protection, and to minimize the Broncos' strength, which is their pass rush. They did not have Derek Carr back in the pocket long. It was three-step drops. It was quick passes. It totally neutralized the Broncos' edge rush. And with the Denver not also getting an interior push, that was a wrap for them. It was just masterful coaching, uh, and uh, Vic Fangio got outclassed, I would say, in his rookie coaching debut. Yeah, I think there's... You know, he would probably tell us that, you know, we're making too much of it. But I think the we're perhaps underselling or underappreciating how much of a change it might be for him to call plays from the sideline as opposed to, to the sky. you got to remember, leading up to this season, in the last 20 years as a defensive play caller, one of those at the college level, only one season of the last 20 before this, this head coaching opportunity came his way, did Vic Fangio call plays from the sideline? 19 of those 20 years, he was up in the booth. And so it completely reshapes and changes your view and vision of the game, what you can see, what jumps out to you, how, what you can observe. You still can see things, don't get me wrong. And he's getting things buzzed down to him from the from the uh, the box. He's getting cut-ups during each series. But at the same time, he can only focus on that so much because – He's got to manage the game. He's the head coach. He's got to be paying attention to what's happening. So I think this is going to be a little bit more of, a, from a play-calling perspective on Vic Fangio, a little bit more of a process for him to figure out what's going to work than we anticipate. And it's not something that we haven't addressed. We've talked about it multiple times on this show ever since he was hired. But I think perhaps even we didn't fully anticipate just how much of a transition that's, it's probably going to be for Vic. Uh, there is going to be a transition, and he's going through the same hiccups and the same first-year struggles as Scangarello and the same rookie players, and, and everyone's swimming with this new scheme and this new team all coming together. But uh, to me, there's no excuse to play man coverage on their best receiver repeatedly. There's no excuse to have Isaac Yadam out there mash up with his uh, the opponent's top receiver and getting toasted every single play. That's common sense, and that's a kind of... Um, the downturn that we saw last year, that was the failure that we saw under Vance Joseph being too stubborn and not adjusting. And that's one thing that uh, is kind of a red flag from this tonight's game. It was so many shades of 2018, so many uh, defensive plays that could have gone differently, offensive plays. The team wasn't up for the challenge. The defense wilted under pressure. The offense, it was too little too late for them. It just reminded me of what we saw from yesteryear, and, and you start to wonder, new coaches, uh, new players, uh, what's the common denominator? It, it's you know some the front office. So if this keeps continuing, I don't want to start creating any conspiracy theories. Then Elway is going to face that similar pressure as he did last year, and the fingers under car start pointing back to him. This is not a good start at all, and he's going to hear about it this week. Oh, yeah. And it's way too early, I think, to start calling Elway out on the carpet. I think more than anything, these players, they got to decide what's important to them. You know, are they going to mail it in, make their checks, and live in their glory days of Super Bowl 50? I'm talking about the veteran holdovers. Or are they looking to continue to make some history as while their playing careers continue? And these are topics we're going to dive into even further in today's show. But first, you guys, a couple of quick matters of business before we fully dive into the gut reaction. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. That's how you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time, especially for all of our new listeners on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and all the different Android listening platforms. Also, a reminder to everybody who listens via Apple Podcasts. Go get your creative review in. If you like what you're hearing from the, sh the shows, 
leave us a five-star review, and then what's going to happen is you enter yourself into the drawing. We're going to give away some swag at uh, the end of the month to a random drawing or two or a random reviewer or two, some Mile High Huddle, some Huddle Up Pod swag. So go check that out. Take care of that business. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep walking? Of course, you'd take the money, right? So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Now, I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with my bookie if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. But did you know that you can actually bet on games even after they kick off? If by the second half it looks like your bet's going south, you can always just take the other side, believe it or not. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code OVERTIME to activate the offer. That's promo code OVERTIME. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, Zach. Um, let's let's touch on really quick the penalties. Okay, it wasn't out of as out of control as you might think. It's just that many of them came in key moments. The Broncos were only penalized six times for 44 yards. Now, compared to the last seasons from a discipline perspective, that's an improvement. However, again, multiple times they came in crunch moments where you just can't have them. Conversely, the Raiders, they were actually penalized more, nine times for 62 yards. So your thoughts on overall discipline. We saw the special teams coverage break down at the end of that game with the Harris, that long 72-yard return from Dwayne Harris. We saw a few coverage lapses. We saw a drop pass in the end zone from Deshaun Hamilton. Focus, intensity, discipline. Why do you think that might be lacking from this team to open the, the regular season? Do you think it might have something to do with the long slog that was that five-game preseason? I, I just think it's it's a new, a completely revamped team. I'm only going to say a new team, but there's a new coaching staff and new players. We talked about it over and over and over again. I don't think so much as the preseason because they had more of a chance to, to develop some chemistry and get on the same page and learn these playbooks. 
It's just, you know, the offensive line, for example, they didn't have any cohesion or chemistry in the preseason. You saw Ronald Leary tonight, a couple penalties. He didn't look that great in his first action back. This whole thing from the offensive line to the quarterbacking to the defense to the coaching, it's going to take longer than one week. This was not the litmus test for the Denver Broncos 2019 campaign. wasn't a great sign for them. It wasn't a great uh, look that we keep coming back to the same topics we talked about last year, penalties, mental lapses, you know, discipline lapses, stuff like that. But it will get ironed out. Fangio is not the type, we think, so far, to let it slide like Vance last year. They're still going to prop up still the, some of the same players in that lineup, especially on that O-line, from last year and committing the same penalties. But Fangio will whip them into shape. It's just one week. We just have to hope they get all these kinks ironed out. You wanted to see it in the preseason. It just didn't happen. Here's what I like about Fangio. He's not a guy that's going to BS you, as we've talked about and as we well know by now. He's a straight to the point, right? No BS. After the game, he was asked what his message to the team was. He said, quote, disappointed but not discouraged. This was an ugly game, and it was definitely, you could see the rust falling off in chunks from this team. And also a team still acclimating to playing with so many new faces, a new starting quarterback, and also two different systems on offense and defense. It's going to take some time. So I like that Fangio's not up there hand-wringing. He's not freaking out. He's telling the team, look, we did not play well for most of this game, and that's disappointing. But we are just getting started. It's week one. I'm not discouraged. Yeah, he'll always own it, and that's what I like about him. He doesn't blow any smoke like Vance would last year and just kind of uh, come out with platitudes or just, you know, you know, fluff praise. I like fans of getting up there and owning this mistake because it it was from him on down. It was a reflection of the coaching and, and the team not being prepared enough last year uh, uh, for this game, like last year. And if we have to kill Vance for that, we have to also criticize Fangio for that. They will get better, though. Um, we just have to hope they can recognize their mistakes because they're not um, irreparable. You can fix these problems. It's still so early. It's only one game. But, you know, for me, it's just those same major flaws coming back from the last couple of years. We want to see those just go away ASAP. Let's break this down unit by unit, and we'll keep this gut reaction because it's so late. I mean, it's late for me in mountain time, and for Zach, two hours ahead, it's even later. So we got to keep this gut reaction relatively short. Let's start with the offensive side of the ball. And the first thing before we get to Flacco that I want to talk about is Rich Scangarello's play calling. Now, there was a window in the third quarter in which you could tell he got into a groove. Unfortunately, on both those scoring drives, the Broncos got inside the red zone. They couldn't close. One of them, of course, they should have closed. But Deshaun Hamilton dropped a touchdown. And so getting back to Scangarello, though, you can tell that for him, he's still kind of figuring this thing out. There were two plays in particular where I'm just like, you know, and this is on my first viewing. I'm just scratching my head. First was the jet sweep to Noah Fant. I get that he's a 4-5 guy, but he's still a big lumbering tight end. He's not He's not a guy that's going to quick twitch, turn the corner upfield like Philip Lindsay. Let's face it, okay, or Emmanuel Sanders. That's not him. That was ill-advised, too cute. You look like a first-time coordinator. You look like a, a first-time play caller calling a game in the NFL for the first time. The other thing that really irritated me, the Broncos had momentum. They had the Raiders on their heels. And then they call that weird-ass formation down in the red zone where they pull out five guys, including an offensive lineman, way out, uh, split out left. Then they throw the ball. It's a screen to Royce Freeman. And as Mm. the broadcast pointed out quite well, he didn't follow the, the path of the blocking and the way the play was designed, cut it inside, no good. But that was just a... 
to me, that was just a, you're overthinking it, dude. Right. You need to focus on the bread, the butter, the meat, the potatoes. What wins ball games in the NFL? This ain't college, dude. This ain't Wagner College. G- gadget plays aren't <laughs> going to pay the bills, Zach. It's true. And, and to the point about fan, I don't care if that was uh, George Kittle. I don't care if that was any Travis Kelsey. I don't care if that was any tight end. You don't call that for your one of your first plays to start off your season when you're a first-time coach and you have a Pro Bowl running back at your disposal. That play needs to go away for a long time and never come back. Uh, in terms of him getting too cute, them being near the goal line reminded me of the Seahawks not running against the Patriots. Run the ball. It's not hard. I, I always hated watching NFL games and seeing coordinators get too cute, outsmarting themselves, trying to get a step ahead and a cutting edge on the defense. It doesn't really happen like that. You have to stick to your strengths and stick to your script, and you'll get the ball in the end zone. And it took them too long for them to open up the playbook. It shouldn't have taken down a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter to start throwing deep to Emmanuel Sanders. So among the negatives from today's game, and I hate to say it, Scangarello is way up there. I mean, you could almost put the loss on him and the defense. He was just way too scared, conservative, vanilla, too cute at times, and never really played to the offense strengths. And when they did, Chad, no surprise, they got the ball in the end zone. That's just something he has to learn from this game and just build on that going forward. All right, let's shift gears on while we're still on that t- that topic and talk about Joe Flacco who I actually thought with there was a few moments that I was like come on dude but I thought he had a pretty solid game however here's one knock I'm going to give Joe Flacco why did you wait until the fourth quarter to start throwing the ball to your most explosive wide receiver in Emmanuel Sanders why he still ended up having an, a nice stat line in garbage time basically five receptions 86 yards and a score but what are you doing? And that makes me wonder about Scangarello, how much of that might have to do with the way Scangarello's seeing the field, what he's whispering to Flacco in the headset, what kind of plays he's calling. Meanwhile, Sutton just beasts out. He didn't get in the end zone, but Sutton had easily his best game as a pro. But let's keep this on Flacco for a second. His final stat line, you guys, 21 of 31, 268 pass yards, one score, and a quarterback rating of a of 105.3, no turnovers, no interceptions. What were your thoughts on Flacco tonight? I thought he wasn't terrible. He wasn't overwhelmingly good, but he made some throws there that Case Keenum could only dream of making. And it was impressive to see over the middle uh, the connection with Cortland Sutton developing. And like I just said, it took the Broncos, and that's not on Flacco, that's on Scangarello. It took them way too long to start taking shots down the field and stretch that Raiders defense out. Stop playing horizontally, start playing vertical. And when you do, good things happen with the speedy receiver like Sanders, who's 100% now. Flacco, he made some nice throws. Uh, I'm with you. I had some moments where you know, he didn't look that great. He looked like a, a 34-year-old quarterback that was just kicked off his old team. Um, but you can win with him. You can get by if you just scheme around him and build off the run and just stick to your strengths. I mean, I've seen worse performances from Flack on other Broncos quarterbacks. It, it was definitely wasn't the worst. Yeah, I, I was mostly encouraged by it. Look, compared to Derek Carr, who's now going into his second year in this system and he's playing at home, he wasn't quite as smooth, right? Carr passed for 259 yards and a score only had four incompletions on the night. Not quite apples to apples in terms of the, 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 the respective obstacles that the quarterbacks were dealing with starting out the 2019 season. I think for the most part, Flacco outdueled him, but he didn't get as good of protection as Derek Carr. And a lot of that has to do with the play calling and the give and take that comes. As you said, Scangarello was not allowing his unit to, to break out of that eight eight-yard box, basically. They were allowing the Raiders to continue to just crowd the line of scrimmage, and it was good. I mean, that's that's why 
what was it? The Broncos had, well, that's why they rushed for so many few yards in the first half. Second half, it opened up and it looked solid, but it, you got to loosen up that, that secondary. You got to take some shots. I mean, the, John Gruden did that out of the gates and it got in the Broncos' heads. And if you do that, though, if you keep the defense honest, what that does is open up the running game, too, for Philip Lindsay, for Royce Freeman. I don't know why Scangarello chose to neuter his own offense and, and cut off half the field by playing horizontally. I've always hated when coaches do that, and I thought Scangarello, being that young, innovative mind with a big-arm quarterback like Flacco and a pretty good receiving core, wouldn't play that way. We just have to chalk it up to him being you know, inexperienced or nervous or whatever. Uh, but this was a guy, Chad, who was didn't really have have uh, that household recognition. He didn't have that name recognition behind him, and he was kind of a a gamble hire by Denver. We all liked it. We all applauded Elway for going outside the box, but this was a guy who rode Kyle Shanahan's coattails, and literally the entire offseason, whenever he was mentioned about his scheme, whenever he was asked about it, all he did was ever cite Kyle Shanahan and reference him. I want to see Scangarello. I want to see the Broncos offense. I don't want to see a a failed carbon copy of San Francisco. So he has to learn quickly and know what his strengths are. That's downfield passing, and that's the running game. You get those things going, you won't have a repeat of tonight. I'd also like to see Noah Fant get worked into the to the game plan sooner. I mean, he ended up with two receptions for 29 yards. A couple of the balls that he wasn't able to haul in were literally a couple of the worst passes that Flacco made on the night. And then, of course, he had the two penalties in the first half. Noah Fant took a really big shot, too from uh, Jonathan Abram, which that dude, I mean, we knew he was a heavy hitter coming out of Mississippi State, but that dude closes with a violence similar to a right cross from Mike Tyson. I mean, that dude is a hitter, knocked out his own player. Hopefully Gary and Conley makes a a speedy recovery, but that compression of that dude's spine, Zach, was scary the way that that shook out. Now, let's look at the way the running back touches were divvied up. I actually liked this. I liked that um, Freeman got 10 carries, 56 yards. Lindsey got 11 carries, 43 yards. And then Lindsey also added six targets, four receptions, 23 yards. So 66 yards from scrimmage for Philip Lindsey. Wasn't able to find the, the end zone. But there were a few times there where that spark is what helped his, his quick twitch and explosiveness is what helped open up the Broncos' offense a little bit in the third quarter. Man, it's no surprise after halftime they made some adjustments and they ran the ball with authority. You can tell they were more fired up and you can tell they had more motivation. And it started with, as you just said, Philip Lindsay on the ground. He will always be their centerpiece. He will always be their spark plug. But you cannot take him out of the game by calling inside runs and not getting the ball in space in his hands and not using him to his best abilities. The, the timeshare, though, with Freeman's interesting. We've been talking about it all offseason. Not to discount Freeman in this backfield. It's still the Lindsay show, but uh, Freeman's going to be a lot more involved this year. And having only one less carry to Freeman, uh, to Lindsay, excuse me, uh, that would lend credence to that, that he's going to be a more integral part of the offense. So any Lindsay fantasy owners, I would get Royce Freeman as a handcuff, if you could. Before we turn the page on the offense, Last thing, I don't usually pay very much attention to the offensive line on my first viewing because I'm really mostly following the ball. I'm really mostly following the flow of the game. But from what jumped out to me, it was at least – I mean, Garrett Bowles got beat a few times, especially in that first half. But I was encouraged that there were no face palm moments from Garrett Bowles. But the biggest thing – two topics I think we need to discuss here. One, Ronald Leary, man. He played Mm. like garbage. Two holding fouls in the first half. Well, two fouls in the first half. I'm pretty sure they were both holding. And then, of course, Jawan James goes down, and he was downgraded to out. He's got some kind of a knee injury. I'm sure that's going to be evaluated. To my knowledge, as we're recording this, there's been no breaking news on 
what's going on with that knee, but concerning to say the least. It didn't even look like it was that bad of an injury. I think he just got hit hard on the knee, but the fact that he was downgraded from questionable to out, that's never a good sign. And this was kind of his rap in Miami. He was um, injury prone to an extent. He had a hammy in 2017. He had a knee injury last year. And that's why I think Miami was kind of content letting him go. He's a big part of this offense. So, I mean, they put Wilkinson in there and that's a downgrade. Then you put him in there and you have no depth left on that offensive line. You're down to nobody. So they have to hope he escapes serious injury because if he falls apart, that line quickly could crumble. I was personally let down by Leary, though. Oh, yeah. I know he, it's been a while since he's played. I know he hasn't been uh, with the with the first-string offensive line, but he did not look like a, a potential pro bowler. He took, it looked like he took a giant step back from last year. It wasn't a good look for him. He's hardly played football for three years now, basically. Three football right. seasons. I mean, we're starting the third one, so that's not quite fair. But the dude's played, I mean, what, he's missed? I, I can't remember now off the top of my head if it's either he's missed or he's only played 15 games in the two years before this game and of course he missed all of the preseason games this summer so you hope that's just the rust falling off in chunks and that he can get up to speed here relatively quickly and I think you'll see a better energy and intensity from this unit and the entire team really at home especially going up against their head coaches former team they're going to want to present that as his first career victory after losing and just getting I mean you want to talk about out physical this was clearly a game on both sides of the ball in which the Raiders wanted it more. They were the more prepared team. They were hungrier. They were more intense. The only time I felt like, Zach, the Broncos really matched their intensity was for that stretch in the third quarter. And look, man, if you want to win in the NFL, if you want to be a contender, if you want to be a threat for the playoffs, it's 60 minutes, dude. It's Mm -hmm. four quarters. It's not one out of four. It's not 25% of the time you flip the switch. Yeah, you, you can't wait until the last minutes of the fourth quarter to start opening it up and, and, and when it's do or die time. You have to be ready to go from the opening whistle. And that's one thing that really reminded me of last year is that the Broncos were not ready to play in this game. They did not get off the bus and enter the stadium ready to play a football game against the Raiders. Oakland was just... Uh, you nailed it. They were they wanted it more. They were hungry. They were more fired up. They were feeding off the crowd. It was it was a hostile environment. It was whatever could go wrong for Denver could have went wrong in that game. But there were so many self inflicted wounds that you have to look at. They have to look at the mirror and blame themselves because they didn't play good enough. They were absolutely outclassed by the Raiders in every aspect. Here's one thing I'll say though: Brandon McManus makes that field goal to end the second quarter, and Deshaun Hamilton catches that touchdown. We're, we're probably talking about a different game here. But that's, it, you know, we, we use this phrase all the time. If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we all would eat our fill. It comes down to execution, and the Broncos didn't get it done. Now, we still got to get to the defense first. We got to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Fantasy football season is here, and this season there are more ways to win than ever because FanDuel has more ways to win cash prizes and once-in-a-lifetime experiences during every single game, every single week. If you never played FanDuel Fantasy Football before, that's great, because new users get $20 insight credit if they deposit $20. Each and every year, Fantasy Football helps hardcore fans like us, and even the casual fans, to get that much more passionate and involved in the NFL regular season. But don't get stuck in a lineup that you're going to regret. With FanDuel, you can pick a new team each and every week. FanDuel is way more flexible with your options, and the injuries and busts, guess what? They don't end your season. Plus, you get the chance to win millions of dollars. 
Sign up for FanDuel now and get $20 in total bonus. Just make your first deposit of $20 to get started, and you'll get an extra $5 in site credit every week for four weeks. Go to FanDuel.com slash DFSFantasy. That's FanDuel.com slash DFSFantasy, or download the FanDuel app. All right, Zach, we're running a little bit long on this pod, so let's mainly just keep it to the to main takeaways here. I think we've pretty well touched on the fact that Vic Fangio seemed a little off balance by the way John Gruden attacked him tonight. But I got to tell you, man, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, they have to be an impact. One of them has to be an impact. I mean, you, you expect both of them to be, but to be completely washed out of this game, Miller, five combined tackles, four were solo, one was assisted. Bradley Chubb, three combined tackles, two solos, one assisted. The leader on this team in tackles, Josie Jewell. So Von Miller, though, Zach, Bradley Chubb, clearly not good enough. Hopefully this they can take a hard look in the mirror here. And I know a lot of this was dictated by game flow. A lot of it was dictated by the way the Raiders were able to get into second shorts and third and shorts and really neutralize the, that, that pass rush. But you want to see something. I mean, zero hits on Carr, zero sacks from the entire unit. If you would have told me before the game that the Raiders would have had three or four sacks or whatever and the Broncos would have had zero, I would have laughed in your face heartily. I, I'm surprised. Um, I, I'm going to chunk chalk this up and I'm going to kind of excuse this uh, performance or lack thereof to the Raiders coaching and game planning. Just a masterful job of taking them out of the game and, and giving Carr a clean pocket. We can only hope that Chubb and Von Miller will feast on Trubisky next week. That's a, a duck in the pocket right there. That's a quarterback who's not as talented or experienced as Derek Carr. So if there's a game to get back on track, we have to hope with so many uh, expectations and goals they laid out and so many uh, accolades on their in their resumes, you have to hope they can start to put it together. Tonight to go invisible, collectively, uh, I didn't expect that. Yeah, even Shelby, I only remember him making one play where I was like, there you go, boy. And that was in the third quarter. You know, the team played with intensity in that third quarter, but they just couldn't close. Josie Jewell, though, the good news is he's on deck to uh, not, let's see, he's going to notch 224 tackles if he keeps, keeps up this pace. 14 tackles, seven solo again. Yadam was the next highest tackler with eight, all of which um, were solo. So... Listen, my biggest um, duds from tonight were on the defensive side of the ball. Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, dubs from a player perspective. Isaac Yadam, a dud. Chris Harris was was great for except for one play in which he got beat by Tyra Williams on that deep post late in the game. Otherwise, Harris was great. I liked what I saw from Kareem Jackson. Yeah. But that D-line, man, they were getting blown off the ball. Yeah, there was no interior push at all, and that's what could have helped the Broncos getting no edge pressure is put some pressure in uh, Carr's face up the middle. They couldn't do it, and that's been the story of the last couple of years. Uh, not a lot of defensive standouts. You mentioned them. Kareem Jackson was all over the place, and I was impressed to see him at safety and floating across the field. Justin Simmons, I thought he would have a better game, but he was kind of exploited too. The entire Denver defense, really, an entire Denver team just imploded, so it's easier to name the players uh, that stood out as opposed to players that didn't stand out tonight. Yeah. I Again, until he proves it otherwise, Justin Simmons' nickname is almost. He's right. almost there. He's always a, di- a day late, a dollar Potential. short. Yes. 
Exactly. So, listen, guys, we're running late here. We got to get to some other things tonight. We got some content, some articles we got to get up. So uh, we'll circle back with you on the next podcast. But uh, that'll give us some time, too, to kind of settle in, maybe watch some film, formulate some some additional thoughts, maybe some more in-depth thoughts. But in the meantime, I wouldn't... Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't overreact too much to this one. This is a team that's still trying to figure out its groove. I think the biggest wake-up call tonight, it has to be that the Broncos were just, they didn't meet the intensity of their opponent. And so that's something that the coaches are going to have to really work on. And uh, hopefully this week's preparation against the Chicago Bears, they can, they can, you know, improve that. But in the meantime, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner on, on Twitter, Zach Kelberman, at Kelberman NFL, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. And uh, you'll have a fresh episode of Building the Broncos waiting for you on Wednesday. Not sure what they're going to talk about yet. I'm sure it'll be this game, but the Scouts Eye Preview will come on the weekend. But anyway, for Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Keep your chin up, Broncos country. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.